Hi, I'm Kelly. And I'm Carrie. And we're Identical Twins. We are so excited to talk to you about all things related to church music here on Hymn Talk, Twin Talk. Now each week we will break down a hymn. It could be an old favorite or it could be one you've never heard of. But it is our prayer that you will worship with us no matter what song it is. So let's get started here on Hymn Talk, Twin Talk. Hi everyone. Hi everyone. I'm Kelly. I'm Carrie. And, and we're, we're Identical, identical twins. twins. This is episode number 39. Take two. Take two. <laughs> because we just went through about, what, six, seven minutes of the yeah. episode. And realized we weren't recording. Yeah. And I guess that would be my fault. I'm Carrie <laughs> and I'm, I usually hit record. <laughs> yes. So this is take two of, of Him Talk, Talk Twin Talk. Talk. You guys, that has happened to us once before right. where we forgot to press record. And we had recorded for way longer. Oh, yeah. We were probably about five minutes, ten minutes away from ending it. Right. And we realized what we had done. So this was only, you know, within the first ten right. minutes. So I And think you're it's, sure it's going, Carrie, right? No, let's just check and double check and double check. <laughs> okay. Yeah. It's been a minute 30. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. So we're here with episode 39, and we're saying that this is an awesome episode. I mean, I feel like we say awesome episode all the time, I know. but this is like super special to us. Super special. We love this hymn. Mm -hmm. We grew up singing it. It's very well known. I'm sure most of our listeners have heard it, if not sung it regularly. I mean, Kelly, I read that it was published in 1700 hymnals. Yes. I mean, that's no joke. Right. So that has to be one of the most widely published hymns. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if our listeners figured it out from our clues. Let's tell them what it is. Just as I am. Mm. So good. Yes. Yeah, so every so often we get a hymn that just hit, checks all the boxes. Right. I mean, we both know it very well. We both have a personal connection to it mm -hmm. from hearing it so often mm -hmm. in our childhood. It has an an awesome female hymn writer. Right. Oh, we love when we get underrepresented hymn writers. Yes. This woman, not only was she a woman, right. but she was actually what they would call an invalid. Right. She was very sick. We're going to talk about yes. that later in the episode. But yeah, I mean, this is so amazing. And we have about 150 hymns from her. Right. So she's not the most prolific, but still, it's amazing. And she wrote many, many other things, other right. poems. And she was actually known for being a, a writer of humorous verse. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And the writer of the music mm -hmm. has a local connection to, yeah. to Boston. I mean, that's kind of cool. Right. We haven't had that in a I while. know. And the, just the story around the hymn is so amazing. And I mean, there's other hymns with great stories, you know, Amazing Grace with John Newton yeah. and It Is Well With My Soul and Horatio Spafford. I would put this one right up there. I feel like people should know this story. And how come we don't? Well, we're going to tell them right now. Yes, maybe from now on. From now on, we just know this this story and this hymn. Um, it's I love when we classify our hymns. Yes. So we're calling this a hymn, but we can have a subgenre of maybe an invitational hymn. Yes. Or a confessional hymn. Yes. I mean, just as I am. Right. You know, I come right. just as I am. And, you know, we grew up in a church that had the invitation. Do you remember, Kel? Yes, absolutely. I mean, it, and oftentimes it went on and on and on. Mm -hmm. They keep kept replaying just as I am. I mean, how many times do you think you went up? <laughs> At the invitation. I, mean, I, th I I feel like I went up a few times. <laughs> Me too. And sometimes it was like, uh, is this ever going to stop? I mean, <laughs> Maybe we should just go. <laughs> we should just go. But yeah, it's a wonderful time to just come as you are, just right. like the song says. And, you know, this idea of invitation, 
an invitation is a wonderful thing. There's lots of things you can't do until you get an invitation. I right. mean, President Biden in the in the White House, you can't just pop into the Oval Office without <laughs> an invitation. invitation. I mean, we can't even go and see our principal at in right. our school buildings, right. right? You should book that appointment yeah. in advance. Yeah. yeah. So Jesus has invited us. Right. Like he's done it. All we have to do is show up. Right. All we have to do is, you know, do the proverbial altar call, walk down the aisle and show up. Right. And I mean, that's what today's episode is all about. Mm -hmm. Inviting Mm -hmm. people to come to a relationship with Jesus Christ. I mean, that's actually probably the point of all of our episodes. Every episode. You know, we want people to know the truth of who Jesus Christ is. And we're inviting you to listen and we're inviting you to draw closer to him and we're inviting you to turn your life over to him if you haven't already. Right. He is calling for you. I mean, this comes right from the Bible. We have the inspiration, right, Cal? <laughs> <laughs> yes. I mean, there's so many passages in the Bible of God and Jesus inviting people right. in. But I just have to look at the Gospel of John, chapter 6, verse 37. What does the Bible <laughs> say? I mean, Jesus says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Mm-hmm. I mean, what kind of promise is that? Right. Come to him, you guys. He will never cast you out. And we're going to talk about this hymn writer who really struggled with yes. her own sense of self-worth and really felt like she wasn't worthy mm-hmm. to be called a Christian or to be one of the sheep of Jesus's flock. Like right. she didn't feel that. And... And Jesus says, come. Mm. Now, you know how much I love my parallel Bibles. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I wanted to look this verse up in the King James Version because I imagined that was the edition that these hymn writers were using at the time. Sure. And these preachers. Because even in the song, it's she uses thou and thy Mm -hmm. and, and EST. And I thought it would just be so nice to hear these old, old words. Um, From the same book, John chapter 6, verse 37, all that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no ways cast out. Mm -hmm. And I just love the ring of all the ETHs and thous and these. Yeah. All right, well, so let's talk about these people. So the writer is this woman from England named Charlotte Elliott. Yes. And the music is by this American. Uh, yep, William Bradbury. Now, not only is he an American, but he's a New Englander. He's a New Englander. <laughs> I mean, he taught and worked all over Maine and Massachusetts, mm-hmm. and he did end up in New York, so a little out of New England. Okay. <laughs> but he was born in Maine. Totally born in Maine, and it's fun to have that connection between the hymn writer from England right. and the composer from New, New England. England. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> as long as he was a Red Sox fan. <laughs> All right, so the tune is by William Bradbury. Let's show people. Let's show the tune and the words. Okay. Should we sing like the first verse? Sure. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. And that thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. 
so I'm thinking people are recognizing it. But after even just singing it with you now, after the week of research, mm-hmm. like it just feels so much more special to me. And I hope that that's what our listeners are going to feel after right. they hear this episode. There's a lot of emotion in this song. I know. In fact, that was one of the criticisms. Like it's too emotional. Right. People are just coming up for the altar call because you're doing this emotional song. But in my experience, I didn't think it was emotional to like till now. I mean, I, in fact, like I would sing till it. till this moment or like as an adult? No, till this week. Like till this week, okay. for sure. I mean, yeah. I think that it was like, oh my gosh, this song is so long. Oh my goodness, we have to speed it up. And even one of the things I read was like, you know, worship leaders, if you do this, don't let it drag on. I mean, it's slow. It's slow. And it's 6-4. So that's your time signature. always <laughs> fun. I mean, it's meant to be slow. Yes. Those quarter notes, you're not going to rush them. The music is very pretty right. and very simple and very pleasing to listen to. Right. I mean, really, let's talk about the guy who wrote the music. So William Bradbury was born on October 6th, 1816 in York, Maine. I've been to York. I've been to York. York has an awesome beach, York <laughs> Beach. So he was raised on a farm oh. and he spent rainy days in a shoe shop. So it says that he loved music and he spent mm-hmm. hours trying to play and practice any music he could find. But he was on a rural farm and there weren't many opportunities. Aww. In 1830, he moved to Boston. This is the first time that he sees an organ and a piano and other instruments in his whole life. Aww. 14 years old. And guess what? At age 15, he became an organist. How's that for a fun fact? <laughs> I mean, I think it just goes to show you how musical he was. Right. You know, he, he just had no way of expressing it. Right. I mean, he probably sang a lot mm-hmm. and hummed and he was probably making up tunes all the time. Yep. So he ended up studying with Dr. Lowell Mason. Aww. I mean, he is the father of music education. That's right. And he's right here in Boston. They end up becoming friends. Oh, good. And Dr. Mason opened up this world of opportunity for him. He sent him out. Um, he taught music in Maine. He taught music in New York. And it says that it's because of him that music was taught in the public school system in New York. And that's definitely Lowell Mason's influence as well, because we wouldn't even have music education if it wasn't for Lowell Mason. Right. This is when he kind of reminds me of us. Okay. Because he taught, he conducted, he composed, he was editing books, he was editing music. And in 1851, along with his brother Edward, they started their own company. They began manufacturing Bradbury pianos. Love it. Yes. A Bradbury piano. Yes. And they, they were very, very popular. As a professor, he edited 59 books of sacred and secular music, much of which he wrote. Yeah, we're going to be hearing about William Bradbury. Again. Yeah. yeah. So this tune he wrote um, is the, is called the Woodworth tune. Right. And it's the most common tune with Just As I Am. We just, sure. we just sang it. As a composer, he did a lot. He composed two cantatas, 39 anthems, 79 sacred choral pieces. So I feel like even in our church choirs, we've sung pieces by him. Yeah, I bet we have. And 921 hymn tunes. Which, one of the most popular, well-known, common okay. hymns yeah. was written by him. And you and I have a good laugh about it every time we sing it. Um, Do you know what hymn I'm talking about? We have a good laugh about it. Oh, a it. huge laugh. In fact, I'm not even sure we can sing it all the way through with all the verses. Oh, I forget. what was. Well, we have quite a few that make us laugh. <laughs> I know. 
I mean, I can't think of one, Kelly. I mean, I know he did the solid rock, but that doesn't make me laugh. It does not make us laugh. No. (laughs) All right, so tell me. Okay, so wait a minute. Let me just give you one more end. Okay. It's written by him, and it makes us laugh because the the words in the later verses are like, oh, it's. (sighs) I know it. It has to be Jesus loves me. It is. I mean, those words. We all love Jesus loves me. Right. But the words of the third and fourth verses are like pretty much unusable. (laughs) I don't even understand why they bother putting all four verses in our hymnal. So, I mean, at some point we should talk about Jesus loves me. It was also written by a female hymn writer, Anna Bartlett Warner. um, And Bradbury did the tune. Right. I feel like. Bradbury being a teacher, working with Lil Mason, I really feel like he has a child's voice in mind. Maybe, Jesus Loves Me and Just As I Am are both very accessible tunes Mm -hmm. for children. They don't have huge ranges. They don't have any huge leaps. I absolutely love it. I feel like we're going to be back with him on many episodes. Yes. Now, he did so much, but he... Only lived to the age of 52. It says that he died of tuberculosis. This is the second second person we've talked about. He would have lived much longer if he was alive now. Right. Well, so we did Neander for Praise to the Lord, the Almighty. He died of tuberculosis at the age of 30. Right. So much younger. Yeah. Right. Much younger. One other little interesting thing about the music is that Bradbury had composed this tune for another text written by another female hymn writer named Elizabeth Scott. Okay. And that hymn was called The God of Love Will Sure Indulge. Mm -hmm. That was in 1849. Obviously, that one didn't stand the test of time. Right. But then he adapted it to fit Eliot's text. He wanted it to fit. But the only way that it could fit is if we changed the words slightly so that the I come was repeated at the end of each verse. Perfect. So that wasn't wasn't how Charlotte originally intended the hymn to be. It only worked when he added this tune to it. And he repeated it. That's awesome. And a great... Hymn writer, hymnologist, yeah, just like us, Carrie, <laughs> named Austin Lovelace, says that the hymn is far stronger with the repeated yeah. words. Yep, and I no agree. one else has come up with a tune to match those words. Right. All right, so let's talk about Charlotte. Yes. So this is Charlotte Elliott's words. Right. So we sang through verse one. Uh, we'll do the rest of the verses. There's f- six additional verses. You'll notice they're short. It's the tune that makes them go so long. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Holding out those notes. Mm. The verses themselves are fairly quick. You'll also notice the old-fashioned language. Mm-hmm. And you'll hear the repetition of the word, I come. Remember, that was not in right. the original text by Charlotte Elliott. All right. Let's, uh, mm-hmm. let's do it. You read the words and I play. Okay. Starting with verse two. Just as I am and waiting not to rid my soul of one dark blot... To thee whose blood can cleanse each spot, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. Just as I am, though tossed about, with many a conflict, many a doubt, fighting within and fears without, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. Just as I am, poor, wretched, blind, sight, riches, healing of the mind, Yea, all I need in thee to find. O Lamb of God, I come, I come. come. Just as I am, thou wilt receive, wilt welcome, pardon, cleanse, relieve. 
Because thy promise I believe, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. Just as I am, thy love unknown hath broken every barrier down. Now to be thine, yea, thine alone, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. Just as I am of that free love, the breath, length, depth, and height to prove. Here for a season, then above, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. So it's interesting. If you were just going to look at Charlotte Elliott's text, they all would just end with I come. You only see that repeated I come when you see it in the hymn. Yeah. All right, let's talk about her. Okay. This is so exciting. Another female hymn writer who had her own struggles that she was dealing with. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And she created something beautiful. All right. All right, let's hear it. So Charlotte Elliott was born on March 18th, 1789 in Clapham, England. Mm -hmm. Now let's talk about Clapham for a second. Okay. In the late 18th century, it became like a fashionable place for the rich to live as it was close to the amenities of London, but it was in a rural setting away from the dirt and noise of the city. Now, I think this is a fun fact. Benjamin Franklin went to Clapham. (laughs) Now, he actually conducted this famous oil and water experiment on Mount Pond in Clapham Commons. Wow. Yeah. I mean, he did not claim to have made this fantastic discovery, but he designed what is probably the first scientific experiment on a thin oil film and made observations that he communicated to the scientific world of 18th century Europe. Wow. I mean, he was kind of a big deal that he was in Clapham, England. I can't even believe England and let him back in after he like was a okay. traitor. Okay, well a few years later Franklin fell out of favor with the British okay. public because he enlisted France's help for the American cause in the War of Independence. The British press attacked him and it seems that his scientific achievements were also belittled. But his research in surface chemistry mm-hmm. is absolutely famous and regarded of, of by course. everyone except for the British scientists. <laughs> of course it is, Carrie. Whenever I talk about surface chemistry, I quote Benjamin Franklin. <laughs> I, if you guys are interested in this, because I barely understand what I just said. <laughs> I mean, just Google oil and water Benjamin Franklin and you'll, you'll see Clapham. Or you'll get a recipe for salad dressing. <laughs> love Ben Franklin. We do love Ben Franklin, but the English do not love him. (laughs) All right. So let's talk about Charlotte's family. So she is born into this wealthy to-do family. Mm -hmm. I read that she grew up in a gifted and godly household. Oh, She grew up in a circle of refinement and piety. I Mm. mean, she, yeah. I was going to say it sounded like our house and then till then. Her maternal grandfather was a pastor. So this is the Reverend Venn of Huddlesfield. Okay. He was a friend to John Wesley. Wow. And John Newton. Wow. And William Cowper, who wrote the hymn, There is a Fountain Filled with Blood. So this grandfather also started an organization called the Clapham Sect. So sect like section. Um, And this was a philanthropic group of Christians who fought for social change. And the most famous member was this politician named William Wilberforce, who served in British Parliament, and he was a leader of the movement to abolish the slave trade. Her maternal grandmother was the daughter of Reverend Thomas Bishop. 
Her cousin, John Venn, I mean, here's just another fun fact. John <laughs> Venn, does the name sound familiar? Like a Venn diagram? Yes. He totally went on to create Venn diagrams. <laughs> <laughs> we should totally do a Venn diagram right. in honor of this John Venn. Right. So one circle could be, you know, loves hymns. Right. And then one circle could be loves podcasts. <laughs> And, and then, then the little the circle, circle in between. Him talk, talk twin talk. talk. <laughs> I don't know what to do. The correct ding sound or the rim shot. <laughs> I think if we can't choose a, a sound, it me might mean we have too many sounds. <laughs> All right. So that's John Venn. Awesome. Now, she had two brothers, Edward and Henry, who also became preachers, mm -hmm. plus an uncle who was a preacher. It's important to note that she was in a place of privilege. I mean, a woman right. in that time would not be a famous hymn writer right. unless you had the support of a very right. well-to-do family. No, and she was able to have music lessons and right. art lessons. Yeah. Right. So as she grew older, it, we read that she begins to brood. She's like fretting over her own faults, her failures, her sins. Mm. And, you know, Kelly, we didn't grow up with pastors as parents. Right. But I do feel like there there must be some difficulty when your parents, when your dad is the pastor. What, You know, d do you feel like you have to live up to some right. other people's expectations? There's an expectation of being perfect. There's an yes. expectation of doing everything right. And, you know, I think this weighed on her. Oh. And she started to feel really down. And... They say that she was angry, bitter, depressed. And I wonder if it's because of this pious family. Mm. Now, of course, they didn't help because when she went to her family and asked, uh, you know, and talked about how she was feeling, they gave her questionable advice. What was the advice? Pray more. Yeah. Try harder. You know, nobody said to her, we're all sinners. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. We right. have all. It's not you. You're no worse than all of us. So she's really, really struggling. Um, now, at the age of 30, she becomes quite sick. Mm. And there's no diagnosis. It's not like Bradbury and tuberculosis. Right. We don't really know what she is, but she's called an invalid. Ooh. So when you look at invalid in Victorian England, you know, the definition is basically someone who has been rendered incapacitated by an illness... There were thousands of invalids during this time period. It could have been depression, scoliosis, hepatitis, any affliction. Right. And they were very common. But then you have this added complication for this time period because she's unmarried. Oh. So a spinster is was considered a woman who was at least 35 and unmarried. And they often used the term invalid for that oh. because it was someone who had to live with her family, had to be cared for by her family, couldn't move out on her own. And it actually provoked some sympathy, you know, instead of just being a spinster, you're now an invalid. Right. Right. So we don't really know her full story, you know, but there is that problem and right. that could have played into her bitterness and her sadness. I mean, it sounds like she was depressed, Carrie. Yeah. So spinsterhood yeah. sort of failed to become a socially acceptable mode of life, right? Oh. But invalidity became something to latch on to. Right. You know, and I think the fact that she never married, I think that's worth mentioning. Right. I mean, so was it both of these things combined? What was the real sickness? Right. I mean, I don't know. I mean, we hear the word invalid and we think it is someone who is, you know, homebound, can't walk, can't do anything on their own, right? Right. A wheelchair even. Wheelchair. Yeah. But in 
this respect, you know, that that may not have been the case. I mean, I guess it could have been. It absolutely we don't could know. have been. We don't know. And actually, she's a little earlier. So she's a little early for, like, Victorian England right. times. And at 30, when she got her diagnosis, you know, technically the spinster age wasn't till 35. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it may not have been, oh, you know, a- exactly applicable to her, but it's definitely this cultural mentality that they had back then that we certainly don't have now. I mean, it sounds like a hymn mystery, Gary. (laughs) There's our sound. But, and it reminds me that I'm so glad we don't live in Victorian England. (laughs) I know. I know. So anyway, she is bitter and the family ends up inviting this kind of this famous pastor from Switzerland to visit. And his name was Henri Abraham César Milan. He's a pastor, writer, theologian, hymn writer. He has hundreds of hymns to his credit, but they're mostly in French. Now, it's unclear why he came to that dinner that night and why he came to England to stay with them. Was he invited as a special guest to talk to Charlotte because she was so miserable? Or was he coming, you know, just to socialize? The story of this dinner table, I've read it in different sources, so I believe that most of this is accurate, but she had an attitude the whole time. Mm. She was brooding and she was mad. And uh, she again asked him, you know, what she should do. And he said, you should p- pray and act more nobly. Mm. Terrible advice. And I have two accounts. He asked her if she was at peace with God or he asked her if she was a Christian. And he sounded a little judgy. And she left the table and refused to speak to him for the remainder of his time at the house. (laughs) Oh, so she's a little stubborn streak. I like her. Yeah. Now, three weeks later, they met again, and she apologized for behaving rudely. And she thought about it. She thought about it since he left. She thought, how can I come to Jesus? How can I find him? She felt herself too deeply flawed to be a Christian. And she asked him, Dr. Milan, to tell her how to come to Christ. And he said in this famous quote, mm. just come to him as you are. Oh. Just come to him as you are. So finally some good advice, Carrie. Finally. Now years later at the age of 45, she was with her family in Brighton. Now her brother, the pastor, was having this huge fundraiser to build a school for poor children and everyone was busy working. I mean, can you just Mm -hmm. picture the hustle bustle of this community, this family, this church family in Brighton working? And she couldn't help. She was like stuck in her room. Oh gosh. She felt helpless and useless. She remembered Dr. Milan's words and then wrote the hymn. She took up pen, she took up paper, and she wrote down what she called her own formula of faith. Mm. And she had the text, just as I am, without one plea. So that is really the inspiration. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and Milan, who she thought was being such a jerk, you, <laughs> know. Know, he, you know, he did try. And I think it just goes to show that... Sometimes your best intentions, you still end up saying the wrong thing. Right, it's true. I mean, she was able to apologize, and they were able to talk, and and he said something better. Right. But I mean, and that just shows we're all flawed. I know. I mean, she could say, Milan made a mistake in being so judgy to me, just like I make mistakes. Right, and I'm going to forgive him, just like God forgives us. Yeah. Yeah. So she... um, 
wrote about 150 other hymns. We talked about this, but one of the hymnals, I just think is very interesting. It was called the Invalid Hymn Book. Oh, gosh. And there's about 150 hymns in that book, and over 100 of them are hers. (laughs) So, like, she really proved that she could do this. Yes. But, of course, they're in an invalid hymnal instead of just the regular hymnal. Right. It's kind of annoying. Now, her brother, the reverend, he has this quote. Do you want to hear it? Yes. He said, In the course of my long ministry, I hope to have been permitted to see some fruit of my labors, but I feel more has been done by a single hymn of my sister's. So, of course, when I looked at some of her other hymns, I really didn't know any of them. Really? You know, and even the brother said, he said, he said it's a single hymn. He knew that it was the one hymn that Mm. was going to make a huge difference. So I thought we could share another one of hers, Kel. Do you want to show that? Yes. Okay, this one I just, I'm so fascinated by. It's called, With Tearful Eyes I Look Around. And... I just think of how when she wrote this, she was probably tearful, Mm -hmm. right? She was probably sad. And what I think is so amazing, Kelly, about this hymn Mm -hmm. is that we are going to sing it with her words. And the tune is by Thoro Harris. I mean, we just want to keep highlighting Thoro Harris as much as we can. I know. So he was from two episodes ago. Mm -hmm. The hymn was called... By His Stripes We Are Healed. And talk about a hymn that has two underrepresented writers. Yes. Thoreau Harris is an African-American hymn writer, and Charlotte Elliott is a woman from England. And and for another musical nerd moment, Carrie, yes. the hymn... M&M's, always fun. <laughs> ...is in minor. Right. Which actually matches like the feel of the words. Totally. But you don't hear minor hymns that often. No. All right, All right let's show them. With tearful eyes, I look around. Life seems a dark and stormy sea. Yet mid the gloom, I hear a sound. A heavenly whisper Come to me. So, Kelly, I mean, the person who wrote those words yes. is struggling. Is struggling. I mean, life is a dark and stormy sea. This I poor know. woman. And I just think that there's people out there right now who, who are in the same dark and stormy right, sea. Right. And in the midst of her turmoil, she did hear the voice of the Lord. Come to me. I know. I, and it reminds me of the scripture verse. Come to me, all, all you, you who are, are weary, weary, and I will give you rest. Right. So it's not only about forgiveness. It's about rest and peace. I know. That only the love of God provides. I just love this woman and I feel like whether it was like mental illness or just she couldn't get out of her own head or whether it was the expectations of the family Mm -hmm. and being in this really pious circle of friends. Or it could have been her legitimate physical demise. Like we don't know what being an invalid meant for her. She could have been in physical pain too. Right. So on her deathbed, Kelly, there's this story. I just love that we know so much about her. I mean, we look up hymn writers sometimes and find nothing. And look at this. We have the story of what happened when she was on her deathbed. Tell us, Carrie. So she has a doctor who's visiting her. She's in Devonshire, England. Doctor who is visiting? (laughs) What did you just say? She has a doctor who is visiting her. (laughs) Did it sound like doctor who? I thought you said doctor who was visiting. Am I editing that out? (laughs) (laughs) All right. So she has this doctor 
who is visiting. Mm-hmm. This doctor is an earnest Christian man, mm. and he's bringing these leaflets to hand to his patients. Now, well after the hymn was published, this woman in England had the hymn printed in this leaflet form Mm -hmm. and she just wanted to pass it out everywhere she went so the doctor has this leaflet he gave it to charlotte elliott that day when he was visiting and she opened the leaflet and recognized her own hymn and he the doctor discovered that she was the author wow i mean who do you even admire more cal the modesty of the author who, like, she didn't even know it was published in that leaflet. Right. Or the doctor who is, like, reaching out to his patients and, and putting these kinds of words in their hands. Oh, that's so nice. I know. So she wrote this other hymn called Thy Will Be Done. Okay. And it's the fourth verse that I really would like to call attention to. She knew with confidence and boldness that she was heading to heaven. And I think it's so amazing because... I don't think she knew that earlier in life. Earlier in life when she's struggling and she's mad and she's brooding and she's frustrated, I don't think she thought she was worthy of going to heaven. But look at this last verse of thy will be done. All right, you want to sing it? Yeah. Then when on earth I breathe no more, the prayer oft mixed with tears before, I'll sing upon a happier shore. Thy will be done. Kelly, I just love that. Yes, you can see that she's, you know, come to this now. She's able to look to the future. Right. She has that hope. She has that peace. Right. That she clearly didn't have before. I love it. And, you know, the tune really helps. I mean, because this sounds so much happier than the Thor (laughs) O'Harris tune. And we know this guy. Yes. James McGranahan did the tune. We know James McGranahan from Christ Receiveth Sinful Men. Right. All right, so Kel, we've talked about Charlotte Elliott. We've talked about Bradbury. Yes. But I want to talk about how this hymn had really has become just this famous hymn in America. Right. And we owe that to Billy, Billy Graham. Graham. Now, I feel like everybody knows who Billy Graham is. I do. I think so. Billy Graham is this famous, wonderful Christian man evangelist. Mm -hmm. He has been in the public eye for decades. Mm -hmm. He's been an advisor to presidents. Mm -hmm. He's been invited to inaugurations. And how's this for some numbers, Kelly? Okay. So it is estimated that in his lifetime, with all the radio and television broadcasts, he, we believe his audience would have topped 2.2 billion people. Wow. That means that like over 2 billion people heard the gospel Mm -hmm. from Billy Graham's mouth. That's like really hard to wrap my brain around. I know. That's a lot of people. Right. And he would play Just As I Am Mm -hmm. during his altar call. And you have to remember, this is before YouTube and the internet. I mean, it wasn't like he would just play it once and millions of people could hear it. It was like in person. Right. And then later on the radio, too. But it was really in, in person, person at these tent meetings. Yeah. I mean, it's really more than just like a favorite Billy Graham hymn. Right. It really is like an anthem. Right. Like it's an anthem for evangelical Christians, a musical creed, you know, that laid out just in really simple terms, the life-changing transaction that happens mm. between the sinner 
and Christ. Right. That's it. And over the years, the hymn just came to embody Billy Graham's easy invitation style that never featured the fire and brimstone right. rhetoric. Right. It was more like a lullaby, just moving softly over the crowd. Mm. So I feel like this episode, the underlying theme, has just been how you never know what those ripple effects are. You yes. know, even from Charlotte Elliott's grandfather, who was a mm-hmm. leader in the abolitionist movement. I mean, you just, the, the ripple effect, you just never know. Right. And I think it's really interesting when you trace back how even Billy Graham became a Christian yeah. and how we have him. So we actually have like this sort of genealogy <laughs> of evangelistic meetings that led Billy Graham to Christ. And we're going to go way back, Kelly, to Edward Kimball. So Edward Kimball is in Boston. He's a Sunday school teacher to young boys, and the boys weren't interested in what he had to say, (laughs) and they were rowdy. And one day he decided he wanted to visit one of the boys in his class. And he went to a shoe store where the boy was stocking shelves in the back. And he talked to him in that stock room of the shoe store in Boston and that boy's name was D.L. Moody. And we know that Dwight Moody led all of his own tent meetings. Right. Now, in one of his tent meetings was a pastor named Frederick B. Meyer. He was deeply moved by Moody's sermons. And as a result, he started this nationwide preaching ministry. Wilbur Chapman, who was a college student, attended and was a part of the ministry, accepted Christ, and became an evangelist himself. And he preached to thousands. Mm -hmm. And then one day, a professional baseball player named Billy Sunday had the day off. He attended Chapman's meeting and accepted Christ. And not only did he accept Christ that day, but he quit baseball (laughs) and he joined Chapman's team and eventually led his own meetings. And he was in Charlotte, North Carolina. Now, the people in Charlotte are loving Billy Sunday's meetings. So Billy Sunday leaves to go on tour and do other towns. So a group of businessmen enlisted the evangelist Mordecai Ham. I can imagine these guys approaching Mordecai yeah. saying, we just had Billy Sunday. We want to keep this going. We want to want to keep the momentum. We got to have more. So Mordecai Ham agrees to, agrees to do some tent meetings there. And a boy named Billy Frank attended Mordecai Ham's meeting. He heard the song, Just As I Am. He walked down the aisle and turned his life over to Christ. And, and this guy, Billy Frank, was, was William, William Franklin, Franklin Graham. Graham. And we know him as Billy Graham. Graham. I mean, it's kind of amazing. So Billy Graham hears the song, Just As I Am. Mm-hmm. That's a part of his conversion story. Mm-hmm. And then he keeps the hymn and uses it for the conversion stories of thousands, millions of mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. And that's where you and I remember the song. Oh, totally. I can remember it being at the end of our church service, mm-hmm. going on forever until people came forward. Yeah. You can't not talk about Billy Graham if you're talking about Just As I Am. Right. You know, I feel like it's his song, you know, I know, as, I know. almost as much as it is Charlotte Elliott's. Yeah. And he entitled his own autobiography, Just As I Am, which I think is great. Right. Now, in my research, I found this performing group in Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. and they're called Then Sings My Soul. Oh, This original touring musical program, Kelly, it's all about hymns, their histories, and the life and ministry of Billy Graham. Oh, wow. So 
they put on these performances. They have been in Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Tennessee. Like, I really, really want them to come to Massachusetts. <laughs> I mean, or I say we just get on a plane and head to Pennsylvania oh, to see them. That's right. Where's our captain? <laughs> no, I, and they're really talented. I mean, I've, they sing in their beautiful, yeah. beautiful harmonies. Yeah. And so I reached out to the woman who's in charge of the production, Cat Prickett, and <laughs> we just talked about our mutual love of hymns. Right. Um, but we're going to use their performance of Just As I Am. And I really think we should have her on another episode. Oh, that would be so I great. Mean, yeah, their music is really beautiful. It's just so funny. Like, they love hymns. We love hymns. We're doing a podcast. They do a musical. <sighs> on their website, this is what they say about what they're doing. In today's modern world where organs, pews, and hymnals are practically a thing of generations past, we seek to not just entertain audiences, but educate them on hymns and their rich history, share the gospel message, and honor the memory of Billy Graham, whose life mission was to let people know that God, God loves you. you. Okay, so right up until the honor the memory of Billy Graham, I feel like that's our mission statement mm -hmm. for Him Talk Twin Talk. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, not just entertain audiences, but right. educate them on hymns and their rich history and share the gospel message. Right. So this, we have so much in common we with do. this group. So yeah. they're called Then Sings My Soul. We're going to share all of their information mm -hmm. so you can find them. And we're going to listen to them sing Just, just as, as I, I am. am. But what I think is really cool is it's not just the hymn. They're really giving us like how it sounds in the show. Right. What they say, and they make it like an altar call. They make it an invitation. Right. Act. So they are continuing what Billy Graham had done. Would have done, yep. And all of the evangelists we just listed, right? Mm -hmm. Billy Sunday, William Chapman, Mordecai Ham, like all those guys, and Charlotte Elliott, and Reverend Milan, who was the one who put those words in her head. Right. So again, we're talking about this like ripple effect. You plant a seed and the fruits can com keep coming for generations. Right. So this is, then sings my soul. Performing just, just as, as I, I am. When Billy Graham accepted Christ in 1937 at a tent revival led by Mordecai Ham, two invitation songs were sung. And the first was just as I am. The words were written in 1834 by Charlotte Elliott, who lived most of her life as an invalid and often felt sad because she couldn't be busy serving God. Tempted to doubt the reality of her spiritual life, she wrote down a list of reasons why she could trust in Christ. And from that list came this song. Billy Graham had two reasons why Just As I Am was included after every message that he preached. The song contains the affirmative response O Lamb of God, I come, verbalizing what countless people would do as they came forward. And second, it has a strong biblical basis for responding to the call of Christ. And respond they did. Over Mr. Graham's nearly 80 years of ministry, countless souls came forward on stadium fields around the world. The cross shows us the seriousness of our sin but it also demonstrates the immeasurable love of God. And when we come to God with our hurt, our brokenness, our past, our failures, our sin, He says, welcome home. And that invitation is open to every one of us. We don't get to heaven by being a good person or through our good works. We get to heaven by believing and proclaiming that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior and that he went to the cross and died for our sins. Don't wait 
God loves you just as you are. And we should come to him that way. Jesus Christ opened heaven's door for us by his death on the cross. We are not guaranteed tomorrow. How we respond to the call of Christ will determine our eternity. Invite him in. Accept Christ and say, yes, Lord, here I am. Come in. I'm ready to follow you. Let's sing together. Pretty. It's it's beautiful. It's so moving. I hope our listeners are really feeling the richness of this moment. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's the moment where countless people came to the Lord. Right. Lives were changed. Right. It's exactly the moment that Billy Graham himself came to the mm-hmm. Lord. Mm-hmm. And oh, we just have so many people to thank. I mean, it goes all the way back to Cesar Milan. Right. We really hope that you were entertained today. <laughs> yep. That you were educated. Yep. And that you heard the great gospel, the good news of mm-hmm. Jesus Christ. What a great hymn. Mm-hmm. So we'll end with the gospel in like one sentence. Yeah. Basically. This is what you need to know. Right. John fourteen six. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And he invites all of us mm-hmm. to come to him. Mm-hmm. Just as you are. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. Yes, I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you have a new appreciation for Just As I mm-hmm. Am, like we do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just remember that there's no way to know the effects that your actions have. So we hope that you have a lot of hope in that, that God is using your work, God is using your actions um, to 
blossom fruit in ways that we will never know. No. No. All right. Have a great week, everybody. Yep. We'll see you next week here on Him Talk, Twin Talk. Bye.